Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm very excited to introduce to you Dr. Simone Kutraba, who is a doctorate-level board-certified behavior analyst and an elite coach who is helping people to get unstuck so that they can multiply their impact, influence, and income. Dr. Simone, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to talk to you. We just had a little chat before I started recording, and I'm already really pumped for this conversation. So thank you so much for taking your very precious time to talk to me today. I'm so grateful to be here, Caitlin. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. So I have started every episode by asking my guest to share with me their story of burnout. And I'm doing this in order for people to understand that the people that I'm talking to, a lot of whom are doing really impressive, amazing things now with their lives, started in a similar place to them, went through similar things that they're going through so that people don't feel alone, so that people know that they're not going through this process as the only human on the planet to have gone through this process. So if you could take a second and give us even the long version of your burnout story, we'd love to have a listen. Sure, sure. So I was a vice principal in um, public, urban public school and I was very excited to get started with the job because I felt that based on my background that I was able to support students. I came from a really difficult childhood. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I went to school where children were not, their needs were not being met. And I had the urge to get into education so I could help kids and I could give back. So I started this job in the public school and it was going really well. And after a while, I noticed a pattern of um, a lot of the students that we worked with had a lot of trauma. They faced a lot of trauma. So they came from abusive homes. We had students in foster homes, students who were molested by their families, students who didn't have a place to live, food to eat. So when they came to school, they were not ready for learning. And with the educational system that we're currently in that pushes standardized testing and academics, we're not providing them with the social and emotional needs. They were, their needs were not being met. So I found myself in a situation where I was asking kids to be ready for learning, but they weren't ready because their emotional needs weren't being met. Children would come into school you know, hungry, dirty, not fed. And my job at the time was to take care of those needs. I had a little girl who suffered a lot of trauma and abuse. She would come to school in clothes that were not appropriate for her. Her hair wasn't being done. So I would take her into my office and do her hair and really took care of her. 
And I took that really personal because I wanted to take care of the children. And I took on a lot. So not just being a vice principal, being responsible for assessments and observing teachers and providing instruction academically, I was taking on the parent role, the mother role, the vice principal role, the teacher role, listener role. I was wearing so many hats that it was just really difficult to continue living that way. So after being in the position for two years, I just found myself on a day-to-day -day basis dealing with students who were engaging in aggressive behaviors because they were struggling with their emotional needs and we weren't meeting those needs. They would have tantrums, they would throw furniture, um, we would have to call the ambulance a lot of times to get the kids out so they could go to the hospital and receive some services. I found myself restraining kids on a day-to-day -day basis several times a day. So that was very physical. A lot of my physical energy and mental energy was really going into keeping kids safe to make sure that they were physically safe and everyone else in the environment was safe. So it was a lot of emotional stress for me and a lot of physical stress. And I really took on the student's trauma because I thought I could save them. I thought I could give them what they didn't get at home, what they weren't getting in the classroom from their teachers. I thought I could save them so that they would be ready for learning. And I realized that I was giving a lot of myself and I would get home and I wasn't good enough for my children. I would give all of my energy, all of my best self to my work and my students. And I had nothing left for myself, my wife and my family. And that was really, I felt like I went through a traumatic situation and I was burnt out. I was literally burnt out. I would come home and I would just collapse. There was nothing else to, to give. And after a period of time, I realized that I couldn't continue this way because my mental health, my family's health were really at risk. So I decided to take a break from being an assistant principal. And that's why I'm here today to talk to you about my uh, new role. Well, and this is, this is unbelievable and mostly because it's so believable. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, when I would tell people that worked in different school settings about my day-to-day -day interactions, they would, not, it was, they would not believe me. They could not believe I worked in a school. I had people ask me, are you sure you don't work in the corrections facility? And when yeah. I think about it, some of the things that I went through, those are similar things that people in corrections are dealing with. And a lot of times our kids in the urban setting are led down that path, right? Because of how we don't address their emotional health and they suffer from trauma and we punish them instead of nurturing and helping them. And they end up in that, in that situation where, you know, we're kind of cultivating the school to prison pipeline, especially for black and brown youth. And that really got to me. I really couldn't um, emotionally take that anymore. Yeah, I, was, I grew yeah. up in a school system like this, actually. Um, and so this is believable to me because I've seen things like this happen. And what is so difficult is, yes, on some level, you know, you should be providing as much as possible the sort of basic needs, meet these, the basic needs of these children in order for them to have some level of success in learning. But that's not actually your job. And there's only so much that you can do to overcome the trauma with them that they need to overcome in order to be able to have their emotional needs met and their physical needs met something that a lot of people so far that I've interviewed for the podcast have said is that they had an idealized view of what they were going to be able to accomplish at the job that they chose. Anything from teacher to lawyer to therapist to doctor. I'm talking across all different fields of work. 
there's this idealized view of what you're going to be able to accomplish and how you're going to feel based on those accomplishments. And what we find in the real world is that we're not always able to do that. Absolutely. It's much more complicated than we imagined it to be. Yeah, no one gives you a, uh, a true description of what you're getting into. You don't know until you're actually in there. So I definitely agree with you. I thought I was going into the school system. I was going to set up behavior support plans that would support students' aggressive behaviors and support them through the process of learning how to manage their behaviors. But it was more than just that. They had emotional needs that were not being met. And what we were seeing on the outside, that was just the externalized view of what was going on on the inside. So I realized that we need to address the inside before we can even address the outside behaviors. So absolutely agree with that. Which you can't really do in a school setting. There's not the time space for that, you know, and you'd need to have an adult per child. Yes, exactly. We did not have the appropriate resources to support each individual needs. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's, that's so difficult. So when you realized you were burned out, you did say you were coming home and you were crashing and Mm -hmm. that your emotional life was a little bit more difficult as well. Can you explain to me and explain to, to the listeners what kind of symptoms you were having that made you realize that you were burnt out? Everybody experiences this a little bit different. And the more stories people hear, the more they'll be able to identify this in their own lives. So what I heard you say was physical and emotional exhaustion, but what does that, what did that mean particularly in your life? Yeah. So that looked like um, I get up, for example, at 4 a.m. in the morning, I had to be at work uh, around 6.30 because I had to get in to make sure we had enough subs to cover for for the school day. And I wouldn't get home till four or five o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening, actually. So I was getting home. I have two small children and I didn't have time for them. I found myself being very abrupt with my kids. I wasn't playing with them. I wasn't responding in a nurturing, kind, loving way, the way that children needed me, you know, my kids need from me, right? I'm their, their mom and they needed that. And I wasn't giving that to them. I didn't have time to play with them. I would rush through bedtime routines and dinner. Uh, my daughter loves to read and she would ask for one more book and one more book. And I would say, no more books. We can't read any more big books. Mommy is tired and mommy needs to go to bed. And I realized that, oh my God, I'm giving everything to my children at work, but not to my children at home. Uh, my son has special needs, so he requires a lot of extra support. And I found myself being upset with him that he's not able to do the things that he should be able to do. Right. And those are the internal dialogues I was having with myself. And I didn't realize that until I started examining my behaviors. Then I looked at what was happening on the inside. What were the things I was thinking that led me to to react that way to my children and to think in that way? And once I realized I had to really do something different, I had to change, shift my thinking so I could shift the results that I was getting. Yeah. What you just said has been a really common response from people that people are feeling that when their emotional bandwidth is used, they are short with people. They're more irritable. They are being really abrupt. And sort of there's this low level of irritation that enters almost every part of their lives. Oh, yes. And I didn't mention my relationship with my wife. Yeah. That was extremely difficult because she carried the burden She had a full-time job as well, but she carried the burden of making sure that the kids 
got on the school bus, making sure that we had babysitters. If the kids were sick, I couldn't call out because I'm a vice principal and she had to stay home. So that really took a toll on our relationship. And to be honest with you, um, we, we, we separated for a short time. Um, just to be honest, we had to take, you know, separate because it was just too much uh, for me to deal with, for her to deal with. And we took time to really examine what was going on so that way I could do something different. Yeah. My husband has told me over the years that for him, the first thing in his life is us. Mm-hmm. And then comes everything else. And he acts that way on a very regular basis. First comes us, then comes everything else. And he, when I was in this sort of burnout cycle, he mentioned to me more than once, like, listen, you're, you're making these people, your patients and your clients, you're making them more important than me. You're making the people that you think we need to be more considerate of for whatever reason, you're making them more important than us. Like we, we play golf together and mm-hmm. we'd be on a golf course and we would be playing and I would be nervous that there were people behind me waiting to play. I'm not a slow player. I'm not a great player, but I'm not slow. Mm-hmm. And I would be stressed out about it. So then I would go really fast and then mess up. And he would look at me and say, Katie, us first, mm-hmm. be here first and then do that. And when I started to unpack that for myself, it was really, really strongly tied into my need to be liked, loved and appreciated. I wanted people to notice what a good job I was doing. I wanted people to notice that I was being considerate. I never wanted to be the person that was making it difficult for anyone. I was you know, always trying to ensure that I was going to be liked. So I was overgiving and I was, I was oversensitive to everyone else's needs, but I wasn't doing that in the most important place in my life, which, was, you know, which is my marriage. And it's taken my husband repeating that to me over the course of our now uh, 12-year marriage, that we come first. And, you know, I I had to really work on the fact that that we came first. And it is a consistent practice for me. Another thing that I've learned about burnout is it's not something that you fix and then goes away. It's something that once you felt becomes a series of yellow and red flags that you have to constantly pay attention to, to, to keep yourself in check, because otherwise these initial needs that you had, you know, you said you grew up going to school in Brooklyn and it's quite difficult when your needs are not met, like the children that you spoke of, Mm -hmm. maybe yourself as growing up when they're not met you as an adult, you search for ways to get them met and it makes you act in a way that's not necessarily beneficial to you. Exactly. Exactly. I was thinking, okay, I don't want the children that I'm working with to suffer the same pain and anguish that I suffered. So I'm going to help them. And it was my need for significance, my need to fix, my need to be a problem solver, my need to be noticed. And I didn't realize that. Um, So I totally, you know, understand exactly what you're talking about, because I felt a lot of the same things. And I didn't know that. Where did, when did you figure it out? To be honest with you, I started a journey um, about, I would say, eight months ago, trying to look at my internal dialogue, my behavior, and the results that I, w- I was getting, and I realized that my thinking was really running my life. And I didn't realize that like 98% of my subconscious beliefs were running my life. I was on autopilot. Yes. So think, yes, autopilot. So the things that I was doing was a reflection of my experiences and behaviors from the past. So I was just operating on that level. So 
because I wasn't treated as a person that was good enough, right? Because of many obstacles, I wanted to be good enough. I wanted to be, to feel worthy. So I was operating on that level. And I realized once I start doing a lot of self work and self development, that these are the things that were keeping me in a burnout situation, keeping me stuck for lack of a better word, keeping me burnt out because I didn't know that I needed to feel love because I wasn't loving myself. I didn't know that um, I didn't really feel worthy of the things that I was doing, the family that I have. So I wasn't accepting it. And that was what kept me uh, in a place of not knowing until I, you know, a place of stuck until I really realized that, oh, because of these beliefs that I have, I could change my beliefs and I could create a new person. And once I discovered that I could create a new person by changing my thinking, and my thinking changed my, my emotions and feelings and results, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to spread the word and help people discover that they can be unstuck because if they change their thinking, they can change their feelings, emotions, actions, and results, and they can really be empowered to create the life that they love, a life that matters, not a life that society tells you we need to have, not a life that our parents tells us we need to have, not a life that we need to have all these degrees in order to be successful, but a life that's filled with love, joy, compassion, empathy, gratitude. That's the life that we need to live, not a life chasing, our, chasing degrees and jobs that are not fulfilling. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. So I'm glad I realized this now and I'm still on my journey, right? I'm still going through a transformation. And I think it's, it's an ongoing process. I don't think you ever get to the other side. Um, you're always working on yourself, always developing new skills to make sure that you're living a life of fulfillment, a life of freedom. That's what I call it. Like I feel free now that I can talk to people about my struggles and listen to their struggles and really you know, figure out a way that we could work together to make it a better place for humanity. That's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Did you do a lot of this work only on your own or did you hire a coach? What was yeah. your process? Yeah. So I hired a coach and I went through a process. I'm not sure if you're familiar um, with uh, the Proctor Gallagher Institute, but they have a coaching process um, where they walk you through you know, setting goals, like looking at your desire. What do you truly want out of life? Not what you think you want, but what do you really want? And looking at our subconscious beliefs 
and examining how our paradigms, which is our behaviors and habits that are giving us the results that we really don't want, how that is running in the background and we're not aware that that's happening. And once I understood that if I change my thinking, I could change the way I feel and I could change my behavior. And through that process of goal setting and examining my um, emotional well-being, looking at how I've procrastinated in the past, examining why I've procrastinated, examining why I, I felt stuck. Once I was able to break through that barrier, I understood um, that I could change and become the person that I truly wanted to be. What made you choose life coaching? So this is, life coaching is becoming more and more popular and there's a need for it. It's becoming more popular because it's a necessity in today's world and it wasn't popular before because it wasn't a necessity in the world. It is a necessity now. I truly believe that. But what made you choose a life coach to say like instead of going to a therapist or going to what what drove that decision yeah so i've had a therapist in the past that helped you know that i worked with when my when i found out my son had a disability and for me that was the process of just talking reliving the situation reliving the scenarios that i went through i needed a a, a huge change i needed to make a shift in order to become a different person. Like I set my intentions, like I, like who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? And I truly sat and meditated on what it is that I wanted, who I wanted to become, and what I wanted to do in the world. And I didn't, I don't think I chose it. I think it came to me. It came to me as, okay, you need to work on these things. This is the process that you need to go through. I did a lot of research. And I got really obsessed with like the brain and our conscious and our unconscious mind and how our conscious mind, we only use 2% of our conscious mind, our intellectual mind and the subconscious mind is our emotional mind. And we only, and 98% of that is what's running our lives. So once I understood that, I thought I need to work with someone to help me through that process to understand how I can make a shift. Okay. Because I felt, like I said, unstuck and I needed to make a, a huge shift. So that way I was thinking differently and I was making different decisions and I would get different results. Right. And what was the advice you got? How do you make that shift? You make that shift through, through being conscious of what's going on, through rewriting your programming. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Bruce Lipton, but Bruce Lipton yes. um, wrote the book, The Biology of Belief. And I read that book like over and over. Um, but a lot of, you know, we're programmed and it's to, in order to be deprogrammed, I had to do a lot of, um, shifting. And in order to do the shift, I started a gratitude journal. I started writing my goals. I started, um, looking at my confidence and, and really examining, am I a confident person and started writing out, okay. Scripts, daily scripts of, I am a confident person. I'm able to set goals and make these goals. Just rewriting the person that I wanted to become, just creating that person and through auto suggestion and, and repeating back and forth, repeating and reading sometimes twice a day and meditation, I was able to see that um, I could change these patterns. Right. So that's what started the journey for me. And like I mentioned, I'm still on that journey. Yeah. Uh, so like once you start, yes. once you start, you're just on it, which is yeah. it's a much, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's a much more fun place to be than the alternative. Um, I want to talk about something that you mentioned because this is something that probably not everyone understands that these, this sort of software that Dr. Simone is talking about needing to change is 
downloaded into your system between the ages of zero and six. You are in a brain state that's almost like hypnosis, and you're just taking stuff in. A lot of this is in the book that, that Simone just mentioned, The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. I will put that in the show notes so that you guys can go find it. As a child, you're in this state, you're downloading these things from the people around you, and based on the things that you download, you create systems of being that are supposed to be successful for you. And they either are or they're not, based on what the world needs at any given time, based on how you interpreted the thing, based on how the pattern was created. And oftentimes, between the ages of 35 and 45, you start to realize that the coping mechanisms that you created and the ways of being that you created don't work anymore. They got you to a certain place and they don't work anymore. If they were even successful in the first place, some people don't even get successful ones to begin with. So that's to start that. But so from the ages of zero to six, you are gifted this world from the outside and so it's not your fault. The point of this is it's not your fault if you're sort of stuck in this place where you're telling yourself that you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you don't feel valuable, you're not successful enough. These are things that were probably gifted to you as a child through adults who may or may not be, have been well-intentioned. Most of the time the adults were well-intentioned but had not done enough of the internal work of themselves to break those patterns that they received from their parents so this, this whole part of the conversation for me is to allow you to drop blame. blame not, don't blame yourself. Don't blame your, I mean, you can be mad at your parents for some things, but eventually you should get to a point where it, you just got what you got and now you have to figure out what to do with it. And that is where I believe the power of life coaching comes in because like Dr. Simone mentioned, life coaching is focused on taking you from a place and bringing you from another place, focused on goals, how to get there, how to do it. If you get stuck, what should you do? And Dr. Simone also mentioned meditation. The magical thing about combining meditation and life coaching is that meditation allows you to increase the neuroplasticity of your brain so that these shifts are easier to make. And that's a powerful thing. So Dr. Simone, you said meditation what kind of practice did you use? Were you, what was your method? Yeah, so it's about, uh, for me, um, I tried, you know, a variety of different things. And um, what's working now, I'll share with what's working now, is using my imagination. So engaging in the person that I want to be, the things that I want to see in my life, who I want to be, and really sitting down in a quiet place and visualizing, using my higher faculties to visualize what what that looks like what that feels like and really tapping into my heart right so coming from the emotional place versus my intellectual mind and really going there and feeling and sitting and being and through that process that helps us create results that helps us create results from the inside out versus looking at what's happening on the outside and trying to emulate what's happening happening on the outside versus what is coming in from within you like what I always ask myself, what is the universe trying to birth through me? And I, I learned that from Dr. Michael Beckwith. Um, instead of saying, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need? Where do I need to go? Sit down, be still and ask yourself, what is the universe trying to birth through me? And that's what I've been doing and looking at, um, you know, the person I want to be, how I want to 
show up in the world, how I want to show up for my children, the people that I work with, work with and for society. And I think that's the process I'm currently using and it's working. It's working for me because um, I feel good because I could create my own world. I could create my own reality. I don't have to look at what the outside world's doing and saying because I'm creating my day-to-day, -day, I'm creating my, my work, the people that I want to work with by sitting down and asking, okay, today I want to attract the people that I can help. Today I want to work with the people that I'm able to support. You know, I want to attract those people. So it's all about using our higher faculties to attract the people, the situation, and the things that we want in our world. And a lot of that work comes from um, you know, the paradigm shift with Bob Proctor and Sandy Gallagher, they talk a lot about using our higher faculties and how we could use our higher faculties to manifest and create a world that we truly, truly love and, 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 and deserve. So that's what I've been doing. That's awesome. And can you tell us what the change has been in your home life since you started to clean out some of your old, you know, buggy programming? Yes. So I can't, I can, I'll go back to one scenario. One day I was running out of the house to my job. Um, and my, my daughter at the time, five years old said, mommy, why are you always running out of the house? Can I have one more hug? One more hug. And I was like, no, I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. And I was like in a hurry to get there. And then now I have time to take my daughter for breakfast in the morning. We, she could pick where she wants to go once a week. We go for breakfast. We sit and have a nice breakfast. She can walk to school. She can ride her bike to school because I'm not in a, in a hurry to get anywhere. I can slowly walk her to school. And my son, I could get him on the bus in time. If, he's, if he needs to be home, I'm home with him. I was able to go and observe him in school, observe how his physical therapist is working with him on, on walking, right? So those are things I wasn't able to do before. So now my life has slowed down to a pace that is manageable, that I'm able to enjoy myself, that I'm able to feel grateful for what I have. My relationship with my wife is in a much better place. We're more uh, connected, uh, we spend more time together. So I'm in a place of uh, bliss. I'm in love with Simone. I'm in love with Simone. And it's been a long journey. <laughs> it's been a long journey. Simone, I love you too already. And we just oh, met. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and also, is my, my mother is a physical therapist assistant in the public school department in Massachusetts. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, she works with little boys like your son and helps them to learn how to walk. And oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love your mom. Funny, right? Another <laughs> funny little work. connection. Yes, yes. <laughs> Another funny little connection. So why don't you tell us for a second about the kind of work that you're doing now, because you have since left the public school system and now you are working as an elite coach. So what kind of people are you working with? Who are you focused on? Yes. So I'm currently working with um, women and the LGBTQ community. That's the community I really want to, to help because that's my community and that's very important to me to be in that community. And, you know, we, you know, those, that's the minority. We are considered minorities, um, being a woman and a queer woman. So I want to be in that space so I could support my community. Um, I'm actually, the work I'm doing is actually through uh, the Proctor Gallagher Institute. So I'm a uh, Proctor Gallagher consultant. So I'm a coach where I coach people through the process uh, using that curriculum, looking at their paradigms, which we talked about earlier, how they can shift their paradigms by shifting their thinking so that they 
can get the results that they want. So a lot of the program that we work on addresses goal setting, not just A goals. A goals are goals that we know we can achieve. B goals are maybe if we're in a position as a teacher, the B goal would be we want to be a vice principal. And the C goal would be like, for me, would be like, oh my God, I can be a coach and I can help a million people, right? So that's like really above um, what I would think of myself capable of doing, right? right? So it allows us to just go deep inside and think about what you truly want. So through that process, clients are able to create goals. I walk them through the process of how to create meaningful goals, worthy goals that you can really get emotionally excited about and goals that you jump out of bed at 4 a.m., and really try to, to, to attain. And that's what I did this morning. I, something came to me at 4 a.m. I got out of bed and I started writing because I'm excited about my work. I'm excited about what I'm doing. I'm in love with it. So those are the things that we help people process and go through. We help people really look at um, shifting these paradigms by thinking into results. That's the name of the program, mm -hmm. thinking into results, where they're really thinking so they could create the results that they really want, not the things that they don't want. And oftentimes, because of that subconscious belief, we often create things in our life that we don't want. And that's the, the goal of the, this coaching process is to help people shift from creating a life that you love versus a life that you don't want, right? Yeah. Um, and I think and, what's really powerful about what you said is you're helping people to answer the question, what is it that I really want? Because I think that this question really trips people up in a big, big way. Like I've been talking about life coaching and in the life coaching world since 2009. So it's 10 years now. Wow. And I cannot tell you how many people I have spoken to that don't know how to answer the question, what do I really want? But this method of looking at goals, like what's the thing that you know you can achieve? What's sort of the next level up? What's the thing that you think is beyond you? Taking, having methods to use to get to the place where you can answer the question, what do I really want? I think is almost the most powerful part of the process. Knowing what you want and then getting to and use using goal setting to get there is mm -hmm. one thing, but figuring out that question. And I think that there's a huge amount of pressure in the world right now to be happy, especially for the millennials. Yes, which I am the last, uh, the the first year of the millennials. Um, but I don't, I don't know that we, I don't know that there's a lot of crossover. But I love the millennials for a lot of different reasons, and I think that one of the big issues that they have that they face is that we've grown up with this idea that your only job is to be happy, and you don't know how to be happy because you, it's almost impossible. First of all, to be happy all the time, and second of all you were never really given very strong guidance because you were always allowed to sort of explore a little bit here, do a little bit there, and you don't know what it feels like. So there's this huge amount of pressure to choose a life path that's going to create joy, but people don't know how to get there. People think that it's outside of them, but it's inside of us. There's nothing outside that we need to worry about. It's all inside because we create our reality. Um, our perceptions and belief is what creates our reality. And if we can tap into the inside, stretch a little, we'll, yeah. we'll be able to find that happiness and that joy that we, we seek because it's within you. Whatever we're seeking is within us. There's nothing on the outside, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. And another thing that I 
wanted to talk to you about that I noticed when people work with you as a coach, there is a charitable attachment to it and you donate partial proceeds to a place called Project Alianza. That's correct. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So um, I met um, a woman, uh, I think about four months ago, her name is Kristen and I went to a workshop and she started telling her story and she started showing pictures of these little girls um, and boys who did not have um, access to education. They work on a coffee, um, their parents work on a a coffee bean farm and the kids, the schools were too far away for the kids to attend so they wouldn't go to school. When she told that story, Caitlin, I was breaking down. I was in tears. I didn't realize that my experience growing up in Jamaica, the West Indies, not Jamaica, New York, but Jamaica in the Caribbean, I saw myself in those kids. I saw myself on the dirt road, walking miles to school. I saw myself getting up at 4 a.m., getting on a truck that's going to the market to get on the truck so that I could go to school, so that I could have an education because I thought at that time that was my only way out of poverty. That was my only way out of um, the situation that I was in. So I did everything that I could to get to school. So once I saw those kids on that dirt road, I had an emotional reaction and I realized that's my purpose. I need to help children who do not have access to education get access to education because with education, you become free. You can change your thoughts. You're not, you're not restricted. You can think for yourself. You can solve problems. You can learn how to be. And that's when I decided that's from that day on, and I didn't tell Kristen at the time, from that day on, I said, once I figure out what it is I'm going to do, I'm going to help those boys and girls get an education and get out of poverty. And that's, that's what I started doing. Um, so we're partnering up and we're uh, starting our, our first launch launch is on uh, July 11th and that's where we'll begin this relationship and this process. That's so wonderful and I really love that I've seen in a few of the people that I've talked to through this interview process for the podcast that people knew on some level what their initial goals and passions were. You were initially a vice principal in a school. You were advocating for children to get an education it was a, not maybe the best angle for you to do it from, but you knew somewhere inside that that was important to you. And so what I, I think that that's important because people that have this idealistic view of what they're going to be able to do, get into some sort of job that doesn't necessarily work for them, they burn out, and then they become completely disenchanted by the whole process And they forget about the fact that that was so important to them. So what I love about your story is that it comes completely full circle and you're back to a place where you can support children getting their education just from a different angle than you were doing it before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it didn't all connect. The dots didn't all connect at the time. I think it just the universe has a way of telling us, you know, what we need to do and how, what, you know, who we need to become. And I think for me, I just listened to my intuition. I just tapped into my intuition. I just start going with what I'm feeling, not what I'm seeing on the outside. 
Um, a lot of people advise me against quitting being an assistant principal. And I, I just, you know, because it's like, you're very good at this. This is what you should be doing. But that didn't feel right for me. So I'm glad I'm still able to support children and help them get an education. That's, that's my goal is to ensure that they have a voice because I didn't have a voice when I was in that you know, situation. And I think with education, you can have a voice. You can be powerful. You can make decisions. You can solve problems. You can be anything that you want to be. And learning those skills and tapping into your intuition, I mean, we have unlimited potential, unlimited. So I want to help kids really find their unlimited potential, really get to that place. I love that so much. Dr. Simone, that was a beautifully inspiring conversation. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. I'm so grateful for you and so glad that we found each other. I think it's a, a great connection and um, I just really want to make a difference. And thank you for helping me share my story. I'm so, so, so happy to have a place where it can be shared. And everybody listening, thank you so much for being here. Please send a lot of love to Dr. Simone today for sharing her story and loads of gratefulness for every single moment of resonance that you felt that means that you'll make a different decision today. That, that means that you'll decide to look at something a little bit closer and maybe make a shift in your life. We really appreciate your listening, and I can't wait to have you back next week. In the meantime, if you love this podcast, please do subscribe and leave us a review. We love to hear what you have to say, and it helps us improve every time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried The Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan